1: It's that time. Lock and Load. The Michael Berry Show is on the air. Today would be what we refer to as an embarrassment of riches. So many things to talk about with the returns in, in a number of elections last night. Let us first get you caught up on everything that has occurred, not the least of which in beloved Chicago. In East, I'm sorry, East Chicago, Indiana, ABC7 Chicago reports. An East Chicago councilman has been reelected. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot one qualifier. An East Chicago councilman charged with murder has been reelected. I don't know that his skin color matters. So him being black has nothing to do with this story. But he is. The Munster Times reports that 42-year-old Robert Battle ran unopposed in Tuesday's election. He is accused of shooting Raimundo Camarillo Jr. to death. Oh, it was probably a long time ago. Sorry, my mistake. October 12th. (laughs) He also faces a federal judge charge, a federal drug charge, after the Popo say... They found more than 73 pounds of marijuana and more than $100,000 cash during a Porter County traffic stop. Lake County Sheriff John Boonsich said Battle did not request an absentee vote to vote from the jail. The man could not vote for himself. Battle is seeking bail and a November 17th hearing is planned. On Tuesday, a Lake County judge granted Prosecutor's request for a DNA mouth swab from battle. You know, that'd be a cool inauguration. You could swear him into office while wearing his orange jumpsuit. The Democrat Party has come full circle. New update on the Quinnipiac poll, Quinnipiac Quinnipiac University's poll is out and we have the results. And before we tell you who won, let's just say Jeb is losing and he's losing some kind of bad. In San Francisco, you'll remember that San Francisco's sheriff argued that it was perfectly acceptable not to turn over illegal aliens whenever they are arrested, to the federal government, and that one of those individuals shot and killed Kate Steinley on the Chicago boardwalk as she walked along in her early 30s with her father. She was gunned down and killed by a repeat criminal illegal alien. In what has become a case that has shown there are real consequences real consequences to not enforcing our laws and particularly with regard to illegal aliens. After spending months defending the city's refusal to turn over criminal illegal aliens to the federal government for deportation, Sheriff Ross Mercurimi was crushed last night. Now, this isn't in Texas where we believe in law and order. This is in San Francisco. The Sheriff Mercurimi and his office received heavy criticism after Mexican illegal alien Francisco Sanchez shot and killed Steinle on San Francisco's waterfront. Sanchez had been released from Mercurimi's jail in March, even though federal immigration officials had requested that he be detained for possible deportation. San Francisco officials have routinely ignored requests from immigration and customs enforcement officials to keep such people in custody. The jurisdiction says they can't hold arrestees beyond their scheduled release dates without probable cause, which is not true. Marco opponent, Vicki Hennessy, attacked the sheriff for his order barring the San Francisco jail from cooperating with federal immigration officials. During the campaign, she argued that there are cases when federal immigration officials should be notified that the jail is about to release an inmate who is in the country illegally. The sheriff in San Francisco was defeated. In Portland, Maine, why would we tell you this case? They voted down a $15 an hour minimum wage. I've got a stack of stories, and they will continue showing that the minimum wage enacted in the municipality of Seattle, Washington, has led to layoffs, business closings, and an increase in unemployment in the town. It is bad business. If you want to pay your lowest employees, your least valuable employees, $15 an hour, that's your choice, businesses. But don't make laws requiring everyone to do it. And what they've shown in Seattle, Washington, is that the marketplace will not bear the increase in labor costs and the resulting increase in cost to the consumer or decrease in profitability, if any, to the business owner. Tea Party Republican Matt Bevin with a huge upset in the state of Kentucky over the Democrats. Kentucky now becomes the 13th state, 13 out of 50, more than one in four, where the Democrats have lost the governor's office during Obama's reign of terror. Republicans now hold 32 gubernatorial seats. Outgoing Kentucky Democrat Governor Steve Bashir predicted that Democrats were going to run on Obamacare and that they were going to win everywhere. As governor, Bashir's administration created a state based exchange for Kentucky residents to buy subsidized private coverage. The governor also expanded the state's Medicaid program via executive order. A large nonprofit health co-op in the state failed. During the campaign, Bevin, the Republican, vowed to roll back Governor Bashir's Obamacare expansions, while his Democrat opponent, Attorney General Jack Conway, dug his heels in defending Obamacare. After the demise of Kentucky's health cooperative, Bevin said, "Quote: even though it's a disaster for Kentucky taxpayers, Jack Conway still says he would have been proud to vote for Obamacare. Every statewide poll taken over the last five months, including just before the election, showed that Conway, the Democrat, would win. In fact, showing him winning by four percentage points in the last one that I saw. Nevertheless, Bevan defeated him by nine percentage points. Bevin unsuccessfully tried to primary the turtle, Mitch McConnell, in 2014, losing 60-30. He came back and ran, again as a Republican, against the heavily favored Democrat, Jack Conway, and managed to win in a state where Democrats had held the governor's mansion for 40 of the last 44 years. There is more good news coming up.
0: He provides a unique perspective, I think. A Michael Berry show. Michael Berry.
1: While we were rooting for Republicans across the country last night and for the downfall of the Democrats, there was, for pure diversity, one Democrat we were rooting for. And I'm sad to say, Mississippi politician Addie Lee Green lost her bid to become the state's agriculture commissioner. She was defeated by Cindy Hyde-Smith, who was reelected to a second term. Addie Lee got 37% of the vote. 37% of the people of Mississippi wanted this woman to be their ag commissioner.
3: I am Addie Lee Green, and I am running to be your next Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce and for a new day for Green Mississippi, jobs, farmers market, inspection, vegetables, and all its regulation. As Commissioner, I plan to help organize the youth of Mississippi through the USDA on farming, produce, and products with schools, colleges, and universities through our various forms of communication, utilities, development, nuclear, solar, ethanol, and other resources using accessibility t- technology. I will work with the legislature, the world, and local municipalities to ensure control and work the, to lower the cost of food and health care for farmers and raise the pay for farmers' workers. If President and Mrs. Obama can teach us how to use a hole at the White House, then every America should have a garden and a hole at their home. If you believe in the importance of um, agriculture, as I do, then I ask you to pray, support, and vote. I need for everyone to wobble to the poll on Tuesday, November the 3rd, and vote Addie Green, Addie Lee Green, for Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce.
1: We can't figure out why the people of Mississippi couldn't take one for the team and put this woman in office. That was her announcement that we played. But the more we dug in, the more we must confess we fell in love with Addie Lee Green. If you listen to this woman talk, you will hear about a new future from Mississippi that Mississippi, sadly, has missed out on.
3: I'm Addie Green, running for the Commission of Agriculture and Commerce. I'm running uh, to bring on a new day for new green Mississippi. And I'm running because we need some education going on in our school system with K through 12th grade before they go to college. And we've had what they call an agricultural school in Utica, Mississippi, but they didn't teach us how to grow any pigs and, and, and do homegrown gardens. And so I'm running to bring that new development to Mississippi so that we can grow better and fresh vegetables and farmer's markets and open up what they call jobs in Mississippi in the area of agriculture and commerce.
1: It's hard to believe only four out of ten people of the great state of Mississippi supported Addie Lee.
3: I just want the in the 82 counties of the state of Mississippi that they start what they call a curriculum in our school system that our children will become educated on God's gift to our community, and that is our farm, our garden, and homegrown, and agriculture that deals with what they call ethanol, and farming like corn, and And cotton, uh, our children need to know how that gas is developed uh, in the state of Mississippi. We have, as I say, a rich state. Uh, The Delta has a farming area going on big time. And in my area in Bolton, Mississippi, we got a cotton gin that serves all of the folk in the state of Mississippi who have cotton, who are are growing cotton.
1: I don't know what about that message did not excite the FOCA.
3: And I understand now we're growing peanuts in Mississippi, and we want more people uh, being producers. We don't have to go outside of Mississippi to grow peanuts. Uh, you know, Jimmy Carter, our former president of this United States, has a factory of peanuts, and we want to open up some uh, what they call factories in Mississippi, where Mississippians become what they call producers. In the state of Mississippi. And as I run, uh, I want everyone to vote for Addie Green on November the 3rd for the Commission of Agriculture. I want everybody to walk up to the poll and support Addie Green. You have from 7 to 7 to support Addie Green for a new day of green Mississippi in Mississippi. Oh,
1: man, that was an opportunity that was lost. Meanwhile, in the state of Virginia. Where... Top Clinton confidant, Terry McAuliffe, is the Democrat governor. And he desperately wanted to wrest control of the state Senate away from the Republicans. In Virginia, the House is held by Republicans, and the Senate was held by Republicans. Knowing he could not take a majority in the House, McAuliffe sought to flip the Senate. The Democrats needed to pick up one seat in order to do, the, do so. The Senate in Virginia, the state Senate, is 21 Republicans, 19 Democrats. They only needed to defeat one, but things did not go well. Republicans held every single seat with Hillary Clinton's top guy, the governor, a Democrat, begging them, pleading with them, and pouring a lot of walking around money into that state. The Democrats are crying foul over one Senate seat, which is expected to be held for the Republicans. Another big loser last night was for Bloomberg's gun control group. It seems they poured a lot of cash into races, and were defeated. We told you about what was going on in Ohio, where in John Kasich's state, there was a move to legalize pot. The problem was, as one conservative commentator, maybe he leans more libertarian, explained in an editorial why I voted for a bad law, the state of Ohio was looking to take the government out of regulation, of marijuana and leave such a decision to the 21 and up adults in the state of Ohio, except they would only have control over whether they consumed the product or used it. They wouldn't have control over where they purchased it. There would be 10 licenses given out to Nick Lachey and sports figures. 10 farms would be allowed to grow marijuana with one distributor, all under the watchful eye and the thumb of the tax collector state of Ohio. So it wasn't really a pot legalization issue at all. The measure was defeated by anti-pot forces who combined with... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today
3: to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting
2: lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
3: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play
0: for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater
1: than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The group who want marijuana legalized, they just don't want a monopoly on it. It was defeated by a two-to-one margin. Despite polling that indicates a majority of the people of Ohio support some form of legalization. So it looks like people actually pay attention. They want the legalization of marijuana, but they want it done in a free market society, not as a way for the government to take more money. One side note, John Kasich came out against the measure. John Kasich came out against the use of marijuana. He came out against legalization of marijuana. And it has been very, very scantily reported that Roger Stone, who was his boss on the Reagan campaign in 76, has gone on record and said he fired John Kasich from the Reagan campaign in 76 for selling marijuana. The Michael Berry Show. The Michael
3: Berry Show.
1: when he was a young man, he never thought it'd see King people Hunt. stand in line to see the boy King. King Hunt. How'd
3: you get so funky? Did you do the bunker? On this day
1: in 1922.
3: Now if I know,
1: then uh, let honky-skinned, cracker-faced white man discovered the intact tomb in Egypt's Valley of the Kings of King Tut, born circa 1341 BCE. King Tut was the 12th king of the 18th Egyptian dynasty, in power from approximately 1332 to 1323. During his reign, powerful advisors restored the traditional Egyptian religion, which had been set aside by his father, Akhenaten, who had led the Amarna revolution. But you knew that already. After his death at age 19, he disappeared from history until the discovery of his tomb in 1922. Probably one of the best known pharaohs. You say pharaohs or pharaohs? of ancient Egypt. Tutankhamun was a minor figure in ancient Egyptian history. The boy king of the 18th Egyptian dynasty was the son of the man also known as Amenhotep IV and most likely one of Akhenaten's sisters. His short reign of eight to nine years, it is believed, accomplished little. But the discovery of his nearly intact tomb in 1922 has led to are led to a renewed study of Egyptology. Tutankhamun was nine years old when he first became king, having accomplished nothing in his life prior to that. And for that reason, we compare him to our current president, Barack Hussein Obama. Quinnipiac has a new poll out October 29th to November 2nd surveying 1,144 registered voters nationwide with a margin of error of plus or or minus 2.9 percentage points. Live interviewers, it matters, folks. That's why I'm giving you the tedious. There are a lot of people who want to release a poll because by doing so, you say their name. But if you don't take the time to interview more than 600 people, particularly for a nationwide poll, it's a highly questionable result. It's troublingly I just use troubling as an as an adverb it is troublingly uh, disturb just troublingly uh insufficient from a scientific basis. First things to see from the poll there are basically three levels well really four levels of candidates three that are worthy of mention. the first is the front runners Donald Trump at twenty four Ben Carson at twenty three. In a statistical dead heat with a plus or minus uh, margin of error of almost three percentage points. Twenty four and twenty three are basically the same. Trump and Carson in the first tier, the second tier at 14 for Rubio and 13 for Cruz. So you have Trump, Carson at the top. Then the next tier, 10 percentage points down is Rubio and Cruz. And then you have the third tier. Chris Christie, John Kasich, and, oh, yeah, Jeb Bush with 3, 3, and 4, also in a statistical dead heat. You could throw Rand Paul in there at two percentage points. Oh, and Carly Fiorina. Bush, Fiorina, Rand Paul, uh, John Kasich, Chris Christie all bunched up at about three percentage points. Santorum down at one, Huckabee down at one, Gilmore, Gramnesty, Jindal, Pataki, basically not even registering. We just made the point in the last segment that Matt Bevin was down by four percentage points in, in the last Kentucky poll. In some, they had it a runaway, and Bevin, the Republican, really the Tea Party candidate, losing in Bevin ended up winning by nine percentage points. So can we trust the polls? As we've said all along, it's important to remember, polls are just a way of knowing that if everybody voted, this is approximately what it would turn out to be. But it doesn't matter what would happen if everybody voted. All that matters is who shows up. Politics or elections are... Are a turnout game. In 2012, the polls showed that Romney would defeat Obama. He would defeat him and win enough electoral votes to win the presidency and wrest the office from the Democrats to the liberal Republicans. But that's not what happened. And the reason that didn't happen, in my opinion, is not because the polls were necessarily flawed – although I don't trust them because I think they have a natural bent and it bent, the, the bent is left-leaning because of the people conducting the polls. It was because of the voter turnout models. Polls don't matter. Votes do. Barack Obama, for all his failings, had a very strong ability to get the people who wanted him to be elected to show up and vote. That was not just black voters. It also included university students, young white voters, voters that don't typically vote, showed up and voted for him. When you look at Hillary's numbers, one of the things that's most troubling is that people will say they're voting. They would vote for Hillary Clinton. That's Democrats. But they're not excited about it. Likewise, that's why Jeb is such a troubling Republican. Is because he has the same tendencies of a Mitt Romney and a John McCain. Now, why do I say that? Not just because he's a squish liberal, not just because he was selected by the establishment over our wishes, but because as you you drill down to what are known as the crosstabs, And you look at whether people actually like him. A number of Republicans, only 4%, say they'd vote for the guy, but they're not excited about it. If you're not excited about voting for somebody, then you just answer the pollster. You don't bundle up in the car and drive to the poll and actually cast a vote, which is all that really matters. That's why we can't have an establishment candidate. Because even aside from the polls, we need votes. More Michael Barry Show coming up. In the latest irony out of the political left, it seems that Seattle's Democracy Voucher Initiative passed with flying colors. Now, this was pushed in Seattle as a get big money out of politics initiative. The democracy voucher initiative will give out taxpayer money to people to donate to the campaign of their choice. Wait a second. If I, as a taxpayer, get vouchers that I then donate to candidates, you just raised my taxes to pay for campaigns. Precisely. That'll keep big donors out of the process. We don't want rich people to control the campaigns. Remember, Barack Obama, who squeals about rich people constantly, raised more money to campaign for president than anyone ever had, by far. That's why he refused the public financing option. So here's how it'll work. For every city election cycle, every two years, the Seattle Ethics and Elections Commission, SEEC, S-E-E-C, will mail four vouchers, $25 each, to each voter. They can only be used in Seattle campaigns for mayor, city council, and city attorney. Voters will assign the vouchers by signing and mailing them to the candidates or to SEEC, or they can submit them online. Seek will release money to the candidates that agree to follow I-122's rules, which include participating in three debates and accepting lower contribution and spending limits. Finally, a way to publicly finance elections, which the left has wanted all along. So what's not to love? Remember that this was supposed to take big money out of the campaigns? Guess who bankrolled this effort? Big outside money. 52% of the donations to the, quote, Honest Elections campaign came from outside the city. The Honest Elections campaign raised $1.4 million in support of their initiative, 30 times more than was raised by the taxpayer opponents. So big money financed an operation to make Seattle City campaigns taxpayer-financed. The average contribution to support the plan to curb donations to city council candidates by private individuals was $7,134. That was the average. Compare that to the average contribution of $166.00. In this year's city council campaign, between Kashama Sawant and Pamela Banks, the most expensive in city history. When people gave the money themselves, when they gave the money themselves, they gave $166 each. When big money came in from outside to get taxpayer funding, government funding of campaigns, they gave $7,134. Does that sound like... An honest election to you? This will require an additional $30 million in taxes on the people of Seattle, or at least the taxpayers. But that's okay. Seattle is where they've increased the minimum wage to $15 an hour, driving companies out of business. And Bill Gates, who's woken up and discovered that one of the richest men in the world wants the rest of us to give up our wealth because he's a socialist. Good grief. These people. A quick note on Hillary Clinton before we get to what happened in Houston. It's certainly sounding like Hillary committed perjury with testimony before the Benghazi committee. The State Department has has released emails that conflict with her testimony. Remember the issue comes down to whether Sidney Blumenthal was advising Hillary Clinton and whether what he was advising her to do is what she got our government to do. The reason that's important is because she has maintained that those were unsolicited emails. Remember that. He's just some guy sending her emails like you and I might do, except he was getting paid by one of the companies wanting contracts to supposedly protect Americans in Libya, particularly Benghazi, which is where, of course, our protection failed, turned tail and ran, leaving four people dead. The potential illegal behavior here is so troubling and so deep, but as is typical with the Clintons, so complex that this, if we can ever tie it all together, shouldn't just defeat her, it should send her to jail. The Washington Free Beacon put together a montage of false statements that Hillary Clinton made to the Benghazi committee. Remember, this is the same 11 hours of testimony that the media gushingly told us she was great at. This had recovered her campaign. Listen to the lies.
0: 90 to 95 percent of my work-related emails were in the state system. Who told you that? We learned that from the State Department.
3: Who at the State Department would have informed Clinton uh, that 90
0: to 95% of the emails have been captured in the State Department systems. I I would have to refer you, frankly, to her campaign. I'm not aware that we we have given that uh, figure. I provided the uh, department, which has been providing you, with all of my work-related emails, uh, all that I had. New questions about whether Clinton handed over all work-related messages from the time she was Secretary of State. We were trying to help them close Some gaps that they had. The State Department described it differently. State Department officials recognized that it had access. To relatively few email records from former secretary clinton there was nothing marked classified on my emails either sent or received the inspector general saying emails on hillary clinton's private server contained classified information
1: what does the word unsolicited mean to you
0: it means that i did not ask him to um send me the information that he sent me the emails are solicited there's 500 or more of them she's very encouraging and enthusiastic he gives her all kinds Kinds of advice and they're in constant contact i said some have sought to justify the attack because of the video within 24 hours you had a conversation with the egyptian prime minister we know the attack in libya had nothing to do with the film stevens had an opportunity to reach me directly anytime he thought there was something of importance
1: did he have your personal email
0: congressman i I do not believe that he had my personal email.
1: The Democrat liberal lesbian mayor of Houston, as she exits the mayor's office, put in place a very aggressive LGBT ordinance. It went before the voters and was crushed almost two to one, shocking the establishment and the local media, but not us. We'll tell you what happened, and then we'll talk to Lance Berkman, who spoke out against it, coming up next.
2: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered com. It's
0: my little escape.
2: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
2: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem
1: some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com.
3: No purchase necessary.
2: Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Temple University is ranked among the top
0: 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty,
3: Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu/visit. It's that time.
1: Lock and load. The Michael Berry show is on the air. I don't want to bore you. With mundane city politics issues in Houston. I do two shows a day. We do a three-hour early show and a two-hour show later that you're hearing now. All of it live. And I spent the early show today focused on what happened in our city election last night. But what happened is an interesting microcosm of what happens in politics in America and that's why I'll focus on it i gave you the quick rundown and i understand that for most of you none of these people mean anything to you so i'll try to keep it on the level that if you're in albany new york or atlanta georgia you'd still be interested cuz the fact pattern is interesting so we have a mayor she was the first openly gay mayor of a major city in america Houston's the fourth largest. Eighteen years ago, she was elected. Uh, she was a gay activist, and she was elected to city council 1997. It was a big deal. Six years later, she was elected the city controller, first openly gay person to do that, and she's a woman, no less. So six years later, which is six years ago, she was elected our mayor for 18 years she's been elected by the entirety of our city it's widely known that she's a lesbian it's not it's not hidden her partners with her at all at all uh, events when she's sworn in her partners there with her so none of it's it's not that you know we secretly hate homos and now we know and we're out to get her we knew barack obama was black america did and he got elected and yet we're told that we're racist every time we disagree with him but we were great for electing him. Well, we were great for electing Anise Parker, but now that we didn't want to do what she wanted with this particular ordinance, we're horrible homophobic people. So about a year or so ago, she conceives what she calls the HERO ordinance, Houston Equal Rights Ordinance, which came to be known as HERO. Because it's heroic, it's great. Just as Obamacare is the Affordable Care Act, even though it's not, this is heroic. We're going to do this. This was going to be her legacy. She was going to leave office having accomplished this, and all it was really about. We were told we didn't need to. We didn't need to worry about it. City Council passed it. We didn't need to worry about what was in it. It was just going to make sure that gay people weren't discriminated against. Well, there's already federal protections for gay people and disabled people and old people and blacks and Hispanics and women and everything else. Why do we need this? Well, as you dug in, it turned out that it gave the city hall an incredible new power to regulate and to hold sort of tribunal gatherings to question local businesses. If someone came in to apply for a job and it was a man, who wore makeup on their face and wore crazy clothes or whatever else, and you didn't hire that person, they could drag you before the city and you would have to account for why you didn't hire them and you hired someone else. People are done with government. It's the state of Texas. We are independent people, liberty-loving people. We didn't want another layer. Well, this became about... What would happen if this ordinance was put into effect? And Anise Porker passed it through. It turns out some of – it passed our our city hall. And some churches became angry that they felt this was a matter of conscience. If a person felt that they were a woman, but they were born a man, wanted to go into a women's restroom where a little girl may be, they'd be able to do that. And that bothered the churches. So they did what is within our Constitution. They gathered 17,000 signatures, except they gathered way more than that. They gathered 25,000 signatures to put this on the ballot. Well, the mayor told us this this was great for Houston. It would make the world love us. And Houston is a very insecure group of people, no matter the wealth and success of the city, the city of Houston, the residents, have an insecurity that we're not world-class because when you talk about New York and London, you don't mention Houston. So they'll do anything. They'll sell their firstborn. If you'll just tell them that this is a world-class city, please. So the churches gathered the signatures, and the mayor used the city attorney and went to the city secretary, and they invalidated the signatures. These aren't any good. You can't, you can't put this to a vote. The same people that had voted her in as mayor were not qualified to vote on whether we wanted this ordinance that we would have to abide by. So the case was taken to the Supreme Court by one lawyer, Andy Taylor, fighting against this, even though the city had hordes of lawyers. It went to the Supreme Court and the mayor was spanked nine to nothing. Unanimously, she was defeated. So clever and devious as she is. She wrote the ordinance that would go before the public knowing she would lose because the public didn't want this. The public that elected her did not buy into everything she wanted. So knowing she would lose, she wrote the ordinance so that if you were for the ordinance, you would vote no. But if you were against the ordinance, you would vote yes, because that way, if you went in and voted no, you'd be voting yes. It went to the Supreme Court again, and nine to nothing, the mayor was spanked. They were outspent multiples. The opposition came from local churches. And we were told this thing was neck and neck. But it never was. It was defeated 61-39. Now, in the meantime, Anise Porker, the mayor, had Sally Field come in, the actress, and Tim Cook of Apple Computers most of the money was coming from outside the city of Houston, and celebrities were coming down and telling the people of Houston, you backwater goofball hayseed hillbillies, you don't need to hate gay people. Well, nobody hated gay people. The city elected an East Porker year after year after year after year. This wasn't about hating her. This was about a bad ordinance that gave too much power to City Hall. So then she lost the election. And lost her mind. Well, during the public debate, which we finally got to have now that we were going to get to have a vote. During the debate, baseball superstar Lance Berkman, a resident of Houston, went to the university. He went to Rice University, which is here locally. He was a superstar there. He played for the Astros. He played for the Cardinals. He came home here. His family is beloved in Houston. And he's not a public figure anymore. He's just a guy raising his daughters with his wife. And this was an issue of conscience to him. So he spoke out against it. And then the mayor attacked him mercilessly. There were voicemails left on a, on a message uh, for the campaign against this ordinance, wishing people would die, making threats terrible. These people talking about tolerance are, in fact, terribly intolerant and yet he boldly spoke out an issue of conscience and we'll talk to Lance Bergman about why as a private citizen as a Christian as a father he did that coming up next the Michael Berry show
0: Tell the rambler the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's gonna
1: cut him down. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Well, that was always a good song to hear when the Astros were well, playing. My goodness crazy, let me tell you the news because you I knew who was up to bat. Lance Berkman. Rice graduate, local resident, deep family roots who now coaches high school baseball. You have to think that's fun. A whole lot less stress than trying to hit home runs for a crowd that's very demanding. You've finished an illustrious career. You are beloved in the town where you retire. You've got a big, beautiful family that loves you and you love them. You have your health. You have financial security. So when people ask you to speak out on an issue that is extraordinarily controversial, most people run and hide. What do I have to gain? I'm not a media personality trying to build a brand. Why on earth would I inject myself into that? And have everything I've ever done criticized by the intolerant crowd of tolerance. Why on earth would I? No, no, go, go find someone else. But Lance Berkman didn't. And whether you agree with his position or not, you have to admire a guy who had nothing financially or professionally to gain from speaking out, and yet who did? And everything you can imagine, and then some, was hurled at him. As a result, Lance Berkman is our guest. Thanks for being with us, bud. Hey, thanks, Michael. Why did you speak out?
2: <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's just—I uh, guess maybe one of my faults as a as a person, or with my personality—is I'm I'm uh, not afraid to share my opinion in pretty much any setting. So <laughs> it was uh, one of the. It was just a a deal that I talked to uh, Dr. Young over at Second Baptist, and he made me aware of what was going on, uh, which I hadn't really even heard that much about it. And I thought, well, if I hadn't heard a whole lot about it, uh, there's probably a lot of people out there that that don't really know uh, what this ordinance is all about. Uh, And so I decided that it it was time to say something. And I feel like that whenever you have an opportunity to to share your opinion, and and not in a, a, um, you know, uh, offensive way or not in a way that would uh, turn people off, but just when you have an opportunity to uh, stand for something that you believe in strongly, then you ought to speak up. And I think that uh, when we don't take those opportunities, we uh, are doing ourselves and our communities a disservice. And I think that uh, part of the problem, or the root of some of the problems that we see now in society is that people haven't taken those uh chances and they haven't put themselves on the line they haven't stood for what they believe in strongly and 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 if you don't do that then um the other side will always win
1: lance um uh, some very nasty things were said about you including from the mayor um after that did that surprise you well i i it uh surprises probably
2: the wrong word I was a little disappointed I mean you would think that that um I just felt like it, I don't I didn't expect that the other side would would be thrilled about my position or my opinion on it uh, I didn't expect that they would have nice things to say about me or my family but I was a little bit I guess disappointed that the mayor said what she said or tweeted what she tweeted and by the way I mean I'm you know, I'm not on Twitter. I don't do Facebook. I'm not a social media guy. So, a lot of this "quote unquote" persecution is all is digital. I mean, it's not real to me because I don't. You know, I didn't see anything. I don't pay any attention to it. I just keep my head down and and try to do what I'm whatever I'm up to that day. But um,
1: do you have one of those uh, things they call a computer?
2: I do have one of those things <laughs> they call a computer. But does it I, have
3: I'm, the www thing on
2: it? I, yeah, it does. And I, but I try not to pay. I mean, I just you know. We don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time on it. I, I feel like i got a lot of stuff to do. And
1: I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to be 100% honest. Okay. Do you ever Google yourself?
2: Uh, I've Googled myself after this whole incident because I wanted to see what uh, – I'm not sure what that bell was for. So, well, it's
1: a long story. Gotcha. It's, it's an internal joke.
2: Okay, perfect. Uh, but just because I wanted to see, hey, you know, what's what's going on and I and I I had actually had a friend of mine say, Man, you're getting killed I'm like, What? And you're like, Yeah, you're getting you know, you're getting slaughtered in the in the media and I thought, Well, let me go see what this is all about So I, I did and, and it well, I mean it, there was Was that
1: the first time you'd ever Googled yourself? Uh
2: no, I'm sure I've done that in the past. <laughs>
1: so when you when you do like do you do you see all right, he's a horrible person, he's a bigot, he's a homophobe, and then there's one's like twenty five best walk up songs he had one in St Louis, and and you go, "Oh, that's pretty, can you get distracted on that?"
2: Uh, no, you know I, I actually was just focused on this last time was just focused on you know what everybody was saying, but but I was encouraged because you know a lot of the comments are in favor of of uh, of not letting the hero ordinance pass and uh, so that's what, yeah. You know, that, it, it was a little bit encouraging. At least you didn't feel like you're out there and you were the only guy in the in the whole city that that thought, wait a minute, this this isn't right. This isn't what we should be doing. Uh, this is not something that I want to expose my family to. Uh, so it, that that was an
1: encouragement. Was there, the vote was sixty? The vote was sixty-one percent against, thirty-nine percent in favor. Was there any moment along the way where your wife or your family said? Or maybe you said, you know, maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I shouldn't have spoken out.
2: No, like I said, it, there's what, there, what. <laughs> when the persecution is all digital, there's not. I mean, what, what are they really going to do? I mean, I'm, I don't. I didn't feel like I was putting myself or my family at risk by, by coming out and and supporting a position that I believed in. And you know, the reaction was was one that I expected. And, and you know, like we were talking about before, what I didn't expect was that you know, that the mayor would, would make a personal attack uh, as far as, you know, she 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 might could come out and say this guy's an idiot, redneck, bigot, but I didn't expect her to, uh, you know, talk about my girls and talk about my family. So I, I was a little disappointed by that.
1: Did you have this conversation with your girls?
2: Uh, no, not before we did it, but afterwards, you know, they, they know what's going on. So they were like, you know, they, they just uh, – the some of the the really my oldest two are the only two that are old enough to be aware of of the ramifications of something like this. The younger two are, they they don't have any idea. But uh, we did we talked a little bit about it, and I mean, they and of course they're my kids, so why wouldn't they have this reaction? Like why why are we even voting on this? Why is that even you know why is that even a possibility? And I said that's a great question, but um,
1: anyway, you know that and that's the the thing about this whole thing is that this didn't extend any special protections it didn't in any way uh, prevent discrimination this divided our city in a way that didn't need. think of all the effort and the money that was spent to create this this major uh, split in our society that absolutely wasn't needed and and now has to be healed as a result of it, did any of your old playing buddies call you up and say, Lance, what the heck,
3: dude? You- Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day,
1: couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lol actually a lot so sign up now at
3: chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com
1: no purchase necessary BDW, void, prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus
2: every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in at us border patrol
3: protecting our borders is more than a job it's a calling agents answer the call working together to keep our country and communities
2: safe if you're ready for a new mission Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash
1: careers. You're in the news for politics. Yeah, well, I've had a lot of people
2: say that, but it's, it, to your point, I mean, it's a shame. The way I looked at this this whole ordinance was, it's, it's kind of like a Trojan horse, you know, all the stuff that is good about the ordinance is already protected federally, so what's the point of, of, hoisting this ordinance on our on our city um and the, the only answer that i could come up with was that you know that it's a an lgtb agenda type thing and the way that the ordinance and and i'm you know i'm not against discriminating against anybody i'm not against depriving anybody of their civil rights but by the same token the 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 ordinance is so poorly written that
1: right. lance can, can you hold tight yeah, for just ahead. a moment all right Big Puma, our guest, coming up next. Oh, of course it's Michael Berry. It's the Mike Berry Show. It's the Michael Berry Show.
3: Cross the bullet of the bayou. Have you ever seen the Puma in the rain? Has there ever been a Puma that you didn't wish you, you were a member of your Puma, but you're not covered with her? Doesn't mean that the hungry Puma eats, give that Puma energy to devour, overpower everything. The Puma dominates. You can't anticipate a single thing he does. He doesn't put your hands together for the Puma.
1: With credit to my friend Chance McLean who made me. that. Years ago, for when Lance Berkman went yard, <laughs> he sent me that this morning, and was delighted to dig it out of the archives. I don't know if you like that song or not, Lance, but we do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I guess it's anytime you have a song that somebody writes about you, it's uh, you gotta like that.
1: You gotta like that. Yeah, you gotta like that. You gotta like that. So the reason I wanted to talk to you today was because I, I think this is a great example of a case where individuals have to speak out on issues of their conscience. And there is nothing more distinctly American. There's nothing more distinctly patriotic and good and decent. And that there will be consequences. There will be pushback, blowback, backlash, insults. And we saw all of that in your case. And I want people to see you had, other than knowing you did the right thing, you had literally nothing to gain from this. You were better off just not saying anything, but you didn't.
2: Well, I, you know, first of all, as a Christian, I feel like um, I have an obligation to uh, to take a stand for what I believe is right. And I feel like that, um, you know, that, that too many Christians are passive about, because they don't want to offend anybody. They, they want to be careful that they're not you know trying to push their belief system on other people and I'm not about pushing my belief system on other people but I am about uh articulating my belief system and I am about taking a stand for it when I have the opportunity so this to me was was what what that was about and you know you get you get called a bigot and intolerant and and all that stuff which uh you know to me tolerance is the, is the is the virtue that's killing this country that we're we're tolerant of everything you know everything is okay and you know as long as it, as long as you want to do it and as long as it feels good to you then it's perfectly acceptable for you to do it um those are the kind of things that that lead you down a slippery slope that will uh you know you'll get in trouble in a hurry so uh i i guess the bottom line is whenever i have an opportunity to make a stand for Christ and to make a stand for values that i think are right and that I know work and, and practice uh, by, by applying them in everyday life, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to uh, use my platform for good or try to. And uh, obviously, there's consequences for that. and You get called names, and you, know, you may have a, a black mark next to your name if you ever wanted a job in the media, but those are all things that I'm willing to uh, risk for the sake of what I believe is right.
1: Did any of your uh, friends or former uh, teammates call up and suggest maybe you ought to back away from this?
2: I've had i had a couple of people say, "Man, you got to be careful with that. You got to be careful. You know, the those people that you are challenging have a loud voice, and and that's certainly true. But what what I don't quite understand is one of the things that this country, one of the great things about this country, is that we can have differing opinions. I mean, we have two political parties. We uh, we have two different approaches, it seems, to uh, how government should be run, and it's okay. I mean, it's okay for me to have an opinion that's different than your opinion, and um, I think one of the things what's, what's become a shame is it seems like that anybody that has a an opinion that is more from the right immediately gets castigated, called a bigot, um, you know, if you if by by uh, voicing that opinion, whereas. The the other side can voice their opinion, and we're expected to just oh now you know let's let's pander to that let's let's listen to that let's give them their say let's treat them with respect, and um, you know it is it is a bit irritating that that's
1: the situation. You're the coach of the uh, Second Baptist baseball team. What's your message to the kids if they ask you a question about what you learned from this and why you did this?
2: Well, my message to them is what I just told you. Hey, I mean they're there is right and wrong. There is absolute truth. Don't let anybody tell you that that truth is relative. And when you feel that that truth is being violated, you've got to be bold and take a stand uh, in favor of, of that truth. And so uh, I think that there's the, I mean, we could we could talk for hours on my opinions on, on what, what I see in society and what I see in kids these days, but passivity is being encouraged, especially in, in men, I mean, Let's be passive, Um, you know, let's not make any waves, not take any strong stands, you know, again, no, let's not give offense to anybody, whereas I feel like that that men need to be strong, they need to be bold, they need to to take a stand for what they believe is right, and I encourage my guys to, hey, you know, don't be afraid to be a leader, don't be afraid to uh, be the only one that has an opinion if you believe it's right, and, and, uh, you know, in so doing, I think that's how you really become a man.
1: I got one minute left, Lance. And did you see that scene in Saturday Night Live where Chris Farley interviewed? Um, uh, help me out, Paul McCartney, and he went total fanboy. Do you remember that? I don't. I don't. Remember. Well, this is a Ramon question, so I'll be quick. Two outs, two strikes, ninth inning. St. Louis Cardinals. The Rangers are one strike away from winning it all. What goes through your mind when you step up?
2: Well I what I tell people is nothing I mean I, my mind was complete blank which is great and the uh, the preparation leading up to that at bat was was praying I mean I I believe in the power of prayer and I prayed not for a base hit but I prayed Lord just give me the give me the peace and the calmness and the ability to concentrate so that I can compete with the ability that you gave me and I prayed that for several days leading up to that game knowing that at some point, or suspecting that I would would have that uh, that situation where the whole thing was going to be riding on one of my at bats, and it was amazing. As soon as I stepped in the batter's box, I, I was very peaceful, very calm. And when I go back and watch the DVD, I can just see it on my face, the concentration. So, uh, no doubt in my mind, the Lord answered that prayer for me and and was just allowed me to compete. And in in the course of that competition, you know, happened to, to get a base hit, and and fortunately we went on to win the World Series. But um, just a a great evidence to me of the power of prayer.
1: Lance Berkman, thank you for having the conviction to stand up and say what you believe. Our community and our country is better for it.
2: Thanks, Michael. There you have it. The Michael
1: Berry Show. This is the Michael Berry Show. So an odd thing happened on the way to the graveyard of political careers that will be adding a tombstone for Anise Porker, Houston's mayor. The mayor of the city of Houston threatened that if we overturned her ordinance, we the voters, we the taxpayers, that we wouldn't get the Super Bowl. And this was designed to appeal to the insecure Houstonian. It's a sad, terrible thing. City of Houston is the fourth largest city in America, and yet the people, many of them, are terribly insecure. Because Saturday Night Live or the Evening News or Barack Obama, different people will ridicule Texas and Houston, and they so desperately want to be a city that has a massive public in, uh, uh, a public uh, transportation system. They want everybody to ride the bus like New York where you can't park and you can get mugged in the subway. They desperately want us to have more unions and higher taxes. We're not like those big cities that everyone's fleeing from and businesses are leaving. And there is this idea that, well, they'll if we stick to our guns and stick to our principles, then nobody will want to have the Super Bowl in Houston. And, in fact, she said that. She threatened, you, you you better be for this, or we'll lose the Super Bowl in 2017, which we're supposed to get. So there were these petitions all over the interwebs. Outsports SB Nation reported the NFL or or wrote, the NFL must move the 2017 Super Bowl out of Houston. The people voted and they didn't vote the way we wanted them to, so we should yank the Super Bowl. <laughs> So our own Justin King contacted the NFL said, hey, we're hearing that you're going to move the Super Bowl out of Houston. To which Brian McCarthy, on behalf of the NFL, wrote, this will not affect our plans for the Super Bowl in 2017. We will work closely with the Houston Super Bowl committee to make sure all fans feel welcomed at our events. So they lied to the people of Houston. You better vote for this or you'll lose the Super Bowl. So when that didn't work, the mayor, who should be working hard for the city that elected her for 18 straight years, should be working hard for the taxpayers here to build our economy. And instead, if we don't give her exactly what she wants... I
0: fear that this will have stained Houston's reputation as a tolerant, welcoming global city, and I absolutely fear that there will be a direct economic backlash as a result of this
1: ordinance going into defeat. Ah, yes. She attacked the churches.
0: They just kept spewing an ugly wad of lies from our TV screens and from pulpits. This was a calculated campaign by a very small but determined group of right-wing ideologues and the religionist right. And they know only how to destroy, not how to build up.
3: Hmm.
1: Well, that's interesting. This mayor's antipathy toward the church is legendary. When the petitions were organized out of the churches, by the way, Black churches, Democrat churches, as well as those leaning to the right. A little detail she doesn't like to bring up. She'd have you believe it's rich white men who don't like homosexuals. No, it's a bad ordinance. But the black churches were against it, too. And they voted against it. They worked against it. They rallied their parishioners against it. But this mayor's attacks on the church are legendary. She thinks everybody's out to get her? No, quite the opposite. She has an axe to grind. She had the city of Houston subpoena the sermons of church services because she wanted to know what they were saying about this. When that became public, when the churches pushed back, When we pushed back, when even many Democrats were embarrassed that the mayor was trying to use legal force against churches and what they preach in the pulpit, she withdrew that and first said she never said it. Of course, we had that on record. And then said that was taken out of context. Oh, would you like to see the subpoenas? But it turns out, She knew about the subpoenas. They all came from her. This is the same woman, mind you. And you're going to think I'm exaggerating because there's no way this can be true. But trust me, it's my home city. I know it. This is the same woman who made it illegal when a church was going into downtown Houston on Sunday after their services and feeding the homeless. She made it illegal. She's going to tell us that she's fighting for social justice when she made it illegal for churches to feed poor, hungry, homeless people. She wraps herself in a cloth of social justice, but what she's really doing is attacking the church.
0: A hero fights for justice. A hero fights for justice. A hero. For justice. A hero fights for justice. A hero fights for justice. A hero fights for justice.
1: Chanting makes it important. Chanting Chanting makes it important. Chanting makes it important. Chanting makes it
3: important. important. Oh my gosh, she's right. Chanting does make things sound important.
1: You know, a hero fights for justice. That's true. What last night's election? made very clear is that just because you do what you do in the name of justice doesn't make it justice. Just because you believe that you're the only one with a pure heart and that what you say must go doesn't mean it will. Impugning other people who dare to disagree with you because you're the mayor is not justice and it's not leadership. It's not good. It's not something you should be proud of. What last night proved in the city of Houston and, frankly, across the country was that it is the taxpayer, it is the citizen, it is the veteran, it is the American who gets to decide what will happen in this great country of ours. And some sides will win and some sides will lose and we'll pick up the pieces and we'll all move on. That is the American way.